Chapter 4 of Zefloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Zefloya by Charlotte Docker. Chapter 4. After the fatal rencontre of the ill-starred Marquess with Ardolf, the latter hurried, as has been already observed, from the spot. Having had sufficient time to escape from the scene of action, and being of course completely unsuspected, he reached by by and circuitous ways his own house, which, having had occasion to return to Venice, he had hired for a short time only, at some distance from the populous city, under a feigned name, hoping for the little while he had to remain completely to elude discovery from the injured Loredani. To return, however, when he entered the room where the apostate wife Larina was sitting, she was struck with an appearance of sternness in his countenance and an unusual seriousness of manner. Approaching him and tenderly taking his hand, for deep was the sway the traitor had acquired over her he had betrayed, she asked if aught had occurred to which she might attribute his altered look. Pressing the hand which held his, and looking steadily in her face, he said, Larina, I have this night committed that which my heart condemns, but which the necessity of the case enforced. Say only, before I tell thee all, that thou wilt not hate me for what involuntarily I have done. Hate thee? passionately exclaimed the deluded wife. I could not hate thee, Ardolf, if thou hadst committed murder." Murder, gloomily returned Ardolf. I hope not, Lorena, but I have wounded, I fear mortally, thy husband. A piercing shriek was the only answer of the horror-struck Lorena. Her avenging crimes flew in her face. They flashed like lightning through her brain. She rushed from the presence of Ardolf and flew, as the resistless impulse of her frantic remorse dictated, to the well-known mansion of her martyred husband. Ardolf, who merely imagined that she had flown from him, impelled by the overflowing anguish of the moment, suspected not, till some hours had elapsed, whither she had gone. When at length, however, he surmised and ascertained the truth, his rage and apprehensions knew no bounds, for the passion with which the wretched Lorena had first inspired him, that fatal passion, which in its consequences and progress were the cause of such immediate and such widespreading evils, had not as yet subsided. Opposition to, or difficulty, could only tend, in the breast of such a character as Ardolf, to give it strength and violence. Sooner, at this period, would he have endured death than her loss, and he determined, therefore, whatever the chance of being suspected, whatever the risk of being discovered, to respect no sanctuary which could detain her from him, nor permit her even to exist independently of himself. For this purpose he completely disguised his person, and, wandering near to Palazzo Loredani, now the mausoleum only of its once happy master, resolved that from that spot he would never depart, but with her whom he knew to be enclosed within its walls. It was on the eve of the second day after the death of Loredani, 
and Lorena, in the bitterness of remorseful anguish, was weeping the consequences of her unhappy conduct, that a letter was put into her hands. Upon opening it, she found it to run as follows. Your present residence is no place for you, having forfeited, by a preference most gratefully recognized, all title to act as the wife of the deceased Loredani. I would recommend it to you to depart from the place where you now are with all possible expedition. The haughty relatives of the Marquess will soon fill the house. You will be considered as the boldest and most infamous of women, and treated with all the ignominy that revenge and illiberality can dictate. Ardolph. Lorena, whose mind was still cutely smarting under the wounds inflicted by the last words of her husband, and whose heart was deeply and sensibly impressed with a conviction of her unworthiness, wrote, without hesitation, the following answer. Ardolph, dare my guilty heart admit the horrible acknowledgment that I love you still? You, whom my bewildered reason shows me at once a seducer and a murderer, O oh, wretch that can cherish such sentiments! For what am I reserved? But mark my determination. It is to see you no more. With Victoria, the innocent sufferer for her mother's crimes, it is my intention to quit immediately the roof under which I am. I shall retire for a time into a remote province. Then, when the remembrance of my infamy has ceased, I shall again endeavor to mix with society, not for my own sake, but for the sake of that daughter I have so cruelly wronged. Ask not, therefore, to see me, for the request will be vain. I dare not load with such a weight of guilt my blackened soul. Forever farewell. Having dispatched these few lines by the messenger, who still waited, the wretched, half-repentant Lorena expected, with an agitation and horror of mind she vainly attempted to quell, some further notice from the unworthy Ardolph. Scarcely dared she acknowledge to herself the base, the lurking hope, that he would not so easily resign her. With trembling frame, then, and mind of anarchy, did she compel herself to prepare for a speedy necessary departure from the roof of her husband, where she felt with impunity, she must not long remain. An hour, however, had not elapsed since the departure of her letter before the same messenger returned with an answer, an answer which, to the eternal shame of Lorena, be it said, conveyed to her breast a sensation of smothered, unacknowledged delight, equal at least to the irrepressible feelings of shame with which it was accompanied. It ran thus— you would retire from Venice with your daughter. Mark me, Lorena, with me there is no trifling. Leave at midnight your present abode, and bring with you Victoria. On the canal, opposite your window, I shall await you. You must go with me to Monte Bello, the villa which I hired on my arrival here, as a retreat during my necessary stay. The situation is retired and distant from the city." There we may remain free from suspicion, for it is the opinion of everyone that the Marquess met his death by the hands of bravos. I have only this to add. Where there, if you still continue to desire it, I will myself accompany you 
to any seclusion you may point out, and leave you there forever unmolested. Let this, however, be fully understood between us. I swear by everything that is sacred and holy, whether you accede or not to my present proposition, you depart not unaccompanied by me from the city of Venice. Through the world will I pursue you, Larina, forever cross your path, haunt you eternally, if for a moment you dare hesitate or think to escape. Ardolph. From her variously agitated heart, Larina heaved a deep and tremulous sigh, essaying to believe herself irrecoverably fixed in the resoluteness of virtue, and without daring farther to investigate the real workings of her mind, she wrote as follows, Confident, most cruel, and invincible of mankind, confident that I shall live and die in the performance of my promise to, I dare not write the name, for my conscious beating heart unnerves my fingers. I accede to your proposition, and trust, since I must, to your honor for the performance of your promise. Thus far being arranged, the weak and misguided Larina again commenced her preparations, but ah, with renewed alacrity, for though undefined perhaps by herself, her sensations were those produced by a conviction of still being loved, and still being seen once more by him whom, of all men, she should have shunned and abhorred. Still, such is the picture too often of a guilty human heart. At midnight, Larina, accompanied by Victoria, left the Palazzo Loredani. The determined Ardolph was punctual to his appointment. He received them with a proud seriousness, and, conducting them to a gondola which he had in waiting, they speedily arrived at Montebello. It is not necessary to enlarge upon this incidental part of our history. Suffice it that, arrived at his villa, the seductive Ardolph called to his aid all those dangerous and seductive blandishments which already had been the cause of so much guilt and mischief, and successfully, too successfully, he called them. The wretched Larina yielded at first to the delay of a few hours under the roof of the unprincipled betrayer, and well he knew how to improve this short delay. For what man, having once corrupted the heart and principles of the woman he deludes, has ever found it difficult to maintain his victory, if he thought it worth his while? Most literally, indeed, did Ardolph keep his conditional promise that Larina should have free liberty to depart if she still continued to wish it. Unhappy wretch, she wished it not, for, blinded by the fascinations of her lover, she found it impossible to live but in his presence. Gradually and imperceptibly, their intercourse, now doubly criminal, became dearer and more strongly cemented than ever. Yet was the wretched farce of journeying in various directions, and even to considerable distances, under the pretext of discovering some suitable situation for the young Victoria and her deluded mother, steadily persevered in. For did not Ardolph know that change of scene was conducive to the plans he had in view, of restraining from compunctious reflection the mind of Lorena, and by so ordering that in his society she should experience no moment of melancholy, 
make her view with horror the idea of abandoning him, and secure her entirely to himself. The plans of Ardolf, ever well arranged, rarely failed of success. Infatuated by his seductions, Larina sought, eagerly sought, to evade reflection, and as a wretch writhing with pain flies to the relief of opium, so did Larina, from the pangs of conscience, to the soothing and intoxicating presence of him who destroyed her. For could she ever endure the secret, horrible conviction of her guilt, that she had rushed from the deathbed of her husband, from where his sainted spirit still lingered, to the very arms of his murderer, that she had forfeited her solemn vow, which his soul had tarried to hear sworn? Could she, even with all the aid of sophistry, attempt to seek in her own mind a palliation of this? She had no resource then but in Ardolf. In his eyes she idolatrously beheld an excuse for her crimes, and in his fascinating voice was recorded a temptation she imagined no heart could have resisted. Gradual and terrible are the approaches of vice. The only absolute original imperfection of Larina was vanity and love of admiration. This error, trifling when in a dormant state, but dangerous when improperly called forth, of what a catalogue of dreadful evils did it not become the cause? What awful mischiefs had not already ensued? Should not this lesson, then, be conveyed to the mind, that the propensity of our natures to evil should be vigilantly checked, and that the guard which should be constantly kept over the wanderings of the heart should never be suffered to slumber on its past? End of chapter 4